It is January 16th, 2009. Welcome to the ninth episode of Digital Photography Life. I'm Scott Sherman. And I'm Michael Stein. And today we'll have an interview with Tom Hogarty about Adobe Photoshop Lightroom. Tom is a product manager at Adobe. He'll tell us all about some of Lightroom's secret hidden features. And he will also be giving away a free copy of the program on today's show. We'll also be talking about the stories this week that caught our eye in digital photography. But first, the theme music. Michael, how was your week? Uh, long. <laughs> Cold. You had a lot of dramatic things happen. Uh, I've had my boilers go bad, and it's going to be replaced on Monday. I've had ice fall in my cars. I've had my child recovering from surgery. And now it's like uh, zero – well, it's actually like minus 10 degrees outside. It's freezing cold. Minus 10 degrees is nothing. <laughs> Why, yeah. it's balmy. My wife had her had me put air in her tires <laughs> in that cold weather. <laughs> She's so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> She's like sugar. That was a lot of fun. Well, it, it's good to see who wears the pants in that house. Well, you know, I do what I can to It's, it's good out. to see who wears the snow pants in that house. <laughs> That's right. I wear the snow pants. Well, listen, today we're going to have a great show. We have an interview with Tom Hogarty from Adobe. Now, I had said in the beginning of the show that Tom's going to give away a copy of Lightroom, but he's not. Actually, we didn't get a chance to record that when we were on the phone. So we're going to start this week's show with the contest question, the correct what we'll do is we'll ask this question. If you send in the correct answer to dplcontests at gmail.com by February 15th, 2009, we'll have a random drawing. And if whoever we choose has the correct answer, they will win a free copy of Lightroom. And if they're wrong, we'll just go ahead and pick the next one, right? That's the way it works. All right. So check out the... Adobe Photoshop Lightroom page on adobe.com. I will link to it on Scott's photo blog and finish this sentence. Simplify photography from shoot to blank. Because that's what Photoshop does or Lightroom does. It simplifies your photography from shoot to blank. So send us the missing word to dplcontests at gmail.com by February 15th, and we will pick a lucky listener to win Lightroom 2, which is about, I guess, a $200 American value, right? Is that what it is? Yeah. Yes. It's, oh, it's now, program. we also have some other uh, announcer, announcements to win for, for winners of the contests from our first episode. You want to tell everybody who the big winners are and what they got? Well, there was the first prize was... Um, the Lightroom 2 book, and I believe that was Tim. And Well, Tim didn't write it. It's Scott Kelby's book. It's Scott Kelby's book, The Lightroom 2. Is it The Lightroom 2 for Digital Photographers? Yes. And so Tim won that. I believe that's his name from the email address. An and autographed copy. An Do we know where Tim is from? Or No, I don't know anything about it. it All right. I'll know so we, once, we sent once he Tim writes me back. And- we sent him an email. Hopefully, he'll respond, right? Yep. Okay. And the NAP membership went to a guy named Michael. And the NAP is the National Association of Photoshop Professionals. It's a $100 value. It's membership for a full year to that group. You'll get the terrific Layers magazine. You'll have access to a ton of free training on their website, as well as a number of members-only discounts. They negotiate very good discounts for the NAP members to all kinds of hardware and software and training and seminar. It's a very worthy membership to have. So congratulations to Michael. Do you know where Michael's from? No, I don't. You know, on real real radio shows, they always say, you know, Michael from Right. That's That's because the callers call in and say where they're from. And the folks who write just say, Here's the answer to the, the thing. And so Michael from the internet. 
Michael from the internet and Tim from the internet. All right. Well, those are our first two winners. Now, if anybody feels that this show is a winner, how can they contact us? You can contact us at digitalphotographylife at gmail.com. And you can also find us our uh, show page at photography.personallifemedia.com. And you can follow us at Twitter at twitter.com slash dplife. And the blog for the show notes is at scottsphotoblog.com. That's where I link to everything we discuss on the show. And we also have other news during the week. So somebody wrote in and said that they thought we spent too much time going over how to contact us. But that was like a minute. Well, you know, we, we ramble on sometimes about things and that's just who we are. We're getting better. We'll try to tighten things up. Yeah. So, so quick, quick, quick. Next topic. What is it? The next topic is that we have um, a lot of thanks that we want to extend to our listeners and to our sponsor, Smug Mug. Please check out scottsphotoblog.com for a 50% discount to the first year of Smug Mug service. We've heard from a lot of listeners. We'll have to have one on soon, but... People are really, really loving Smug Mug, and that 50% discount is very hard to find. There's a code you can get on Scott's Photo Blog. Check it out. You'll really love Smug Mug. There's a 15-day free trial. Put some albums up there. See how good your photos look. You can see our photos as well as the photos from our recent ongoing photo contest over on our Smug Mug site, which is dplife.smugmug.com. Dot com And we are still running our first photo contest, The Joy of Photography. What's the cutoff? Is January 23rd, 2009. And we are anxiously soliciting more pictures. Usually there is a rush at the towards the you know end because every, it's like taxes. Everybody saves <laughs> it till the last minute. But we'd love to see more of your shots. We got some terrific ones already. We cannot wait to award an M. Rock, no, I'm sorry, it's a Think Tank photo bag to the winner. One of two bags, you'll have your choice. Uh, check out Scott's photo blog for the bags that you can win. They're both terrific depending on what your needs are. One is a bag that is um, very handy for taking on airplanes with a bunch of advanced security features. And the other is an urban disguise bag, which you can bring around town. It'll carry a lot of gear, including two full uh, digital SLRs with lenses, but it doesn't look like a photo bag. So you're less likely to wind up like Bruce Wayne's parents in the street from a prisoner, from, from, from a robbery, right? That's a very nice story. That's a nice story. I know. My, like my son loves... Batman, but, you know, that's the one part of the story he always perseverates well, it's on. It's not a very right? nice part, is it? He said, what, what happened to Batman's parents? I said, well, they got knocked down. It was terrible. They got knocked down? <laughs> they, they, they got, they got knocked, knocked down. down. They hurt their bums. <laughs> yes, it's very sad. But you know what doesn't get knocked down? What doesn't get knocked down? Digital cameras. Digital cameras are becoming more and more ubiquitous, even among the most sophisticated professionals. There was a milestone in history recently. Did you know that we had a new uh, president elected for this country? Yes, I did know that. You, you'd heard about that, Barack Obama. I've heard of him. Well, there's a couple of things that um, are firsts related with Obama's presidency of great historical importance, but none of them is as crucial to our audience as the fact that he is the first U.S. commander-in-chief to have his official presidential portrait snapped with a digital camera. All right. It was shot with the new Canon EOS 5D Mark II, taken by Peter Souza. He is the new official White House photographer. And, you know, a lot of um, Obama's campaign was about change and technology, you know, being cutting edge using the tools of the digital age. So I think it's very fitting that he is the first uh, U.S. president ever to be immortalized in a digital photograph for his official shot. You know, this is the shot that, for example, will hang in every government agency. Including yours? Including mine, yes. <laughs> and it was taken with a Canon. So I'm happy. You know, this is the camera 
that original report said had a lot of problem with not not a lot of problems, but uh, problems that were occurring. And for a three thousand dollar camera, you don't want to have problems. They were having black dots in some of the highlight areas of the camera, but by all accounts, the latest firmware update improves and mitigates, according to Canon, the black dot problem. So you no longer see those in the highlight areas of your pictures. And to be honest, they were only seen if you really zoomed in at, you know, like 500% magnification and were looking at it, it wasn't like it was going to yeah, spoil most people's peeper, shots. Yeah. But still, they should be pretty near perfect. And now they are. And it's nice that it was just a firmware issue and not an actual physical hardware issue. And so many of these things do turn out to be the firmware, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's great. Yeah. Lucky for them that they didn't have to do a recall. Now, another camera that is very popular, one of the most, as I understand it, I think right now the most popular camera, if you search Flickr, is the iPhone camera. Wow. Now, you know what the problem with the iPhone camera is? Uh, it's two megapixels? It sucks. <laughs> I have an ca- iPhone, and it is two megapixels, and not a very good two megapixels at that. Uh, it's not an autofocus lens. It doesn't even have one of those flashes uh, that many digital cameras have. Some of them use what's called the xenon flash, and it's a pretty capable flash, not the iPhone. And the lens just does not appear to be of a high quality. It doesn't. You can't focus on anything that's much closer than a foot away. So it's a pretty useless camera. But people are using them because of the the ubiquity ubiquity of the iPhone, I should say. I almost said the ubiquity. Well, I mean, it's for for people who want the iPhone. They're getting the phone not because of this camera. I mean, I'm hoping to get one soon, and it has nothing to do with the camera. I mean, it's nice that it has something of a camera. That's not why I'm getting the iPhone. But, you know, one of the things about the iPhone that's so frustrating is because of the big, beautiful LCD – and because of the fact that you can download so much extra software for it, and because of its almost always on fast connection to the internet, if it had a great camera, it would be a rocking picture-taking machine, you know? And it also has built-in GPS, so all of your photos would be geotagged. So it could be a great little shooter, but for some reason they kept the same lame sensor and lens that they had with the original iPhone. It's a big disappointment because if they just would upgrade that a little bit, it would be such a fantastic all-purpose device. Unfortunately, they, they're not seeing to do that. I hope that Apple someday will. But despite that, hmm. pictures taken with the iPhone camera are very popular. It's just a really terrific form factor. And in fact, a picture taken with an iPhone recently crashed an online service that people use to upload their pictures to Twitter. Twitter, for those of you who don't know, is sort of a microblog. You can find Digital Photography Life at DP Life on Twitter. It's a, a really nice program for people who like that kind of thing, right? You get little instant messages from the people who you choose to follow. And this program called TwitPic, a service called TwitPic, allows you to more easily link your pictures to your twits, your little posts. And a photo taken with an iPhone crashed the TwitPic servers because it became so popular in such a short period of time. Did you look and see what that photo was? Uh, yeah, I'd actually seen this photo. It made like the cover of a couple of newspapers. Of and what the, was it? It was of the um, the plane that uh, landed, had a, a water landing in the Hudson River. Yeah, that was bad. That was bad. I mean, it was bad, but it was amazing how it turned out so well, all things considered. Yeah, apparently nobody lost their life. The worst injury was to a passenger who broke both legs. And uh, it's just amazing that, you know, it, it didn't sink right away. It didn't, like, fall, break apart, and people were able to get out safely. And there were, you know, they were in a place where there were lots of boats around and that they helped. And uh, it, was a, it worked out pretty well. By all reports, the uh, reflexes and the actions and response of the pilot were outstanding. Amazing, yeah. Probably saved all of those lives on the plane, but that dude with the iPhone also had pretty quick reflexes. He took the shot, 
got a decent one, uploaded it to TwitPic, and so many people went to see that photo in such a short period of time that it crashed the server. Now, did this person make money from the uh – actually sell it to the newspapers? That is a good question. I don't know. Now, I would think if a newspaper ran I don't know actually because it's in the once he puts it up on Twitpic, I guess the picture is in the public realm, right? I don't know how that works. Well, that's a good question. If anybody does, let us know, but I would imagine since he has put it into a public forum, they can reprint it without, you know, compensating him. But but uh, but I was giving credits. He he didn't sell the picture. He put it up on the web. And other people rant with it. I, I, it'd be nice if they threw him some bucks, right? Maybe we'll try to track him down for the next show. That'd be kind of cool. Now, the iPhone is not a good camera. It, it's good in that, you know, your iPhone's always in your pocket, like any camera phone. So it, it's nice and handy, but it's just not great quality. If you want to improve the quality of your iPhone photos as well as be able to share them more easily, do things like stitch together panoramas right there on the phone, tweak the exposure, the sharpening. Pop Photo recently ran a list of the top 10 most useful software apps for the iPhone. And the nice thing about the iPhone apps is that many of them are inexpensive or free. Yeah, they're like $3, and yeah, pretty inexpensive. I think the most expensive one on this list was $10. And then the funny thing was, it, it's the application that I think kind of does the least. It <laughs> gives you an interactive display of basically when the sunrise and sunset is, where you are. Which is, you know, so you can capture that golden well, hour light. It, well, it says it point to where it's going to be exactly? It kind of gives you a – well, you know, you got GPS, so it gives you a little compass to show you what direction to point in. That's pretty cool actually because, you know, you can go to websites and it's really hard – that's the information I actually like to have is because they're often um, – I love doing moon rises. Do moon rises as well where uh, I like yes. to know where, this, where the moon is going to be coming up and I'm always like guessing where the moon is going to come up. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's it's called Focalware. It's described as a handy interactive graphic display uh, of vital information about the sun and the moon. Keep track of their position in the sky, intensity, and the exact time at which they will rise and set. That's a ten dollar application. Now, sunrise sunset time is pretty obvious, but if it tells you where in the sky it's coming up, that's pretty useful. Well, and it's worth ten bucks for you. For three bucks, you can get a program like Photogene, which allows you to crop, sharpen, rotate, straighten, and adjust things like your gamma, saturation, and color temperature. So for $3, you know, it's kind of a throwaway. Uh, Another very well-reviewed program for kind of uh, playing with your pictures is Camera Bag. It uses... There's five different filters, simulated filters, that give you the look of a of a Holga lens, a Russian Lomo, an old movie camera. Uh, so it kind of gives a tint and some kind of distortive effect to your pictures. That's pretty neat stuff. And then there are free things like HP gives you a free application that if you have a compatible HP printer, you can send your photo right from the iPhone to your printer and chug out a four by six. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. So a, a lot of really. I'm just looking n- through the list now. It's like, wow, some, some good stuff. Yes. Yeah. It's a lot of sweet stuff. And you know what? Some of my favorites are not even on this list. So um, there's a lot of, there, there's a whole photography section in the iPhone app. I'm sorry, in the, right, the iPhone app store. And it's really worth looking at. There's a lot of cool things. And then there's programs that allow you to draw little word balloons on your pictures and mm-hmm. you know put mustaches on your portraits. They're a lot of fun. So you so, can modify your pictures. So it sounds like it's nice that you can do some simple image editing right on your phone. With your finger. So your it's finger. not so precise, but it is fun. Cool. Now, if you have a, a, a camera that maybe is just a tad bit better than the iPhone, you know, one with an actual decent sensor and some good lenses – you now have the option to protect it in a full-body 
condom. Camera armor, they call it. Um, we'll put a link to this. These are custom fit sleeves or jackets, I guess, right? Yeah, I guess they're they're wraps. They're made out of yeah. silicone and they cling to your camera. They're body specific. They're cut out to fit exactly the shape of your camera's openings and dials and LCD. And they give it protection, I guess, against getting knocked or maybe dropped from a low distance, right? Or rattled around in your bag. Uh, some of the sets also comes with things like uh, a wraparound for your lens and a polycarbonate LCD shield to cover your LCD from scratches. I'm looking at one now for the 40D, which is a mid-range DSLR. It's $59. They also, the recent news with them is they just came out with a bunch of these uh, wraps for some point-and-shoot cameras too. Well, I remember my Aunt Ruth used to always have um, like saran wrap something, you know, over vinyl, over her furniture. Is it like that? Yes, yes. What was the name of that? There was a name for that. Oh, was there a name for that stuff? Yeah, I forget what it was. All well, her furniture you know, it, was covered with this stuff. It was, it was a little bit tacky. <laughs> well, it kept everything clean. It did keep everything clean, but you were sitting on something with all of the comfort of saran wrap. Oh, I, I remember like sticking to that. But yes, yes. When you were in, when you went to your aunt's house in the summer in shorts, and you got up, you'd stick to the couch, right? <laughs> yes, it was. Which painful. would create a bad noise, like you had gas, and you'd be embarrassed. But uh, now this looks pretty cool. I mean, the thing is, you know, if especially if, I imagine if you're rough on your gear, this is where this would be useful. Or if you're just worried about your gear, I'm I'm pretty rough on my gear, and I don't really worry about it too much. <laughs> right, I'm the same way. I mean, I bang it around, but I don't worry about it. I don't worry about my car. You know, I mean, if so. I get scratches on it, I'm like, you know, it's meant to be lived. You know what I mean? Right. It's meant to. To me, I like having wear. You know? Right. Yes. It shows you are a real manly man whose <laughs> camera has been through the wars. Yeah, you know, it's just it's just life. It just you know. So I so eventually I have a camera that is old that I can't use anymore, but looks great. And and for some cameras, it comes in colors. Most of them are smoke, you know, which kind of a Dark. semi-transparent gray. But I see they have a digital rebel wrap, which is bright red. That's kind of fun. Then your Canon. 5D, they have a camouflage mm. so that if you were shooting, I guess, in the jungles. Or if you're a birder or something like blend that. In. You know? Or yeah, a hunter. Well, I wouldn't think the camera would be, <laughs> you know, what the birds would be most concerned about, but okay. No, I mean, it's just if you're out in the, in the nature doing nature, then, uh, you know, you might want to be not seen as much as possible. Well, I like to think of it for war correspondence. Hmm. Well, it's an interesting product. It's an interesting product. You know, I think that there are people who really hate the idea of digging. Um, I've never had an LCD get noticeably scratched, but, you know, they have little protection for that. I, I, I honestly don't know what sort of major damage this would protect you from. You know, like if you dropped your camera from enough of a height to really affect the internals, would this protect that? I don't know. I mean, anything that – I mean, it would protect somewhat. Right. It would be gonna, better It's going to absorb nothing. the shock before the camera does. So, right. I mean, it could, you know, it could easily protect it. I mean, I don't know. I've never had a camera break on me. I know I've definitely scratched things. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, I've I mean, I've dropped my lenses before. <laughs> Two of I them. imagine you'd get a little bit of waterproofing from it maybe and – you know, if you're in a place with blowing sand, right? It's true. It's like it's just one more place where um, you don't have to worry. You know, you can worry f in fewer places about right. water getting in. Although most of the places that water, water gets in is the area that's already exposed anyway. Right. And it actually might give your camera – I bet actually gives it kind of a nice grippy feel too, right? It, yeah, it can give a nice grippy feel. But silicon is very yielding to the touch. And it gives you a different look. Right. All right. Well, if you're interested, you can check it out. We'll put a link – to the people who make camera armor, which is always on your camera. Another little quick thing we wanted to tell you all about, like camera armor, not a particularly expensive thing to add to your workflow, is something called the Lens Align. Did you have a chance to look this up? I, I've seen it before, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on it? Do you want to describe to people what it is? Well, it's a uh, 
The lens align is designed for uh, DSLRs, which have a feature where you can do, which you can make micro adjustments for uh, focusing your lenses. And so the idea is that you can take your, um, your let's say your 50 millimeter 1.8 lens, and you can calibrate your lens to the camera sensor so that the focus is optimal. And you can do this with all, and when you put on your 50 millimeter lens, it'll know it's the 50 millimeter 1.8 and it will know the readings from that. Um, and so, so if you have a bunch of different lenses, you can um, get them all set up just, just right. Uh, a lot of people complain about front focus or back focus where it's not perfect. And some people aren't sure how to really test it. This gives you a device so you can test that and calibrate your lens with, there are only like a dozen or so cameras, I believe. Is that what, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, that actually have these features. Um, and so I think like the Nikon D300 has it and the newer ones. Yeah, according to this, the Canon 1D3, the 1DS Mark III, the 5D2, and the 50D would be the four Canons. The Sony D3, D3X, D300, and D700. The so I'm sorry, did I say the Nikon? The, uh, the, the Nikon, Nikon D3, D3, D3X, D300, 700. The Sony A900 and the Pentax K20 are the only ones they list as having the autofocus auto micro adjustment feature. So it's just a newer breed of cameras and usually on the higher end of the cameras that have these features. Now, you and, know, when you get into the um, forums of the people who are really persnickety, about their lenses, very exacting. They often do complain about front and back focusing. It's not anything I've ever noticed. I don't. I, it may be that I'm not sophisticated enough to. The price of these products is not inexpensive. The full version, the LensAlign Pro, is $139, and the light version is $79. So these are not small investments. But to be fair, I'm over on Luminous Landscape, which has a lot of very good information he the the reviewer on luminous landscape does say that uh with top lenses selling for one thousand dollars or more lens align seems to be a worthwhile investment to ensure that your camera is focusing them as accurately as possible he says that his experience calibrating some 20 lenses on three different cameras is that more than half of them showed visible focusing errors, which can easily be corrected with lens align. That's excellent. That's, you know, if you're going to spend so much money on your camera and your lenses, you might as well make them perform and, and tweak, you know, have your camera know your just, uh, you know, know your lenses as best as possible. All right. But would you spend it? I thought about it. I looked right. at it and I looked at it. I'm like, it's a bunch of money, but, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, is is my camera focusing good enough? Can it focus better? I don't know. Right. And I don't know what I don't know, you know? Right. And it's interesting to hear that they said that 50% of their lenses really were could, right. be, could have been focusing better. Right. Well, check out. There's videos on rawworkflow.com forward slash lens align. And you can see for yourself if the lens align is something that you need. And I'll, of course, link to that on Scott's photo blog. Dot com. All right. Well, that's pretty much the news roundup of the day. Those are the things that um, struck Michael and I. We want to get to the interview with Tom Hogarty from Adobe about Lightroom. Those of you who have been interested in this product, listen carefully because he makes a very good, compelling case for how useful Lightroom is. And those of you who already have Lightroom, you might pick up a tip or trick or two about how to get more out of the program. But first, an important word from one of our friends. And I am on the phone with Tom Hogarty. Tom is a product manager at Adobe, and under his domain are Adobe Photoshop Lightroom, Camera Raw, and the DNG file format, and we'll probably touch on a lot of those things today, but mostly we want to talk about the awesomeness that is Lightroom. Welcome aboard, Tom. Oh, thanks for having me. You know, Lightroom is a product that I think a lot of people don't 
understand, at least people who don't have it, um, exactly what it does and what it's for. So why don't you tell everybody sort of the capsule description of uh, what Lightroom does and who it's for? Well, Lightroom uh, is basically an attempt to create an application for digital photographers from the ground up. Uh, and, and what it does is it helps them with the mundane tasks of digital photography. It's kind of like having a digital assistant that helps you get your images off the camera onto the computer, helps you kind of organize them, do the basic tasks of renaming, maybe tagging, uh, integrated directly into an editing environment where you can do fundamental image adjustments, dodge and burn, exposure correction, tone curve adjustments, and then make it really easy uh, to take those images and then share them, whether it's a slideshow, uh, print output, or a web gallery, or connecting directly to any of the web services you may use. Uh, so it's, it's really kind of that foundational tool that, that makes your life so much easier. And you, if you want to work with digital photography uh, and you're, you're serious about it, you know, it really just gives you that foundation of, okay, here's my toolbox that I can go to on a regular basis and it'll take care of all the, all the details for me. Now, Lightroom is on its 2.0 version. When, when was the first Lightroom shipped? Do you know? Well, we actually shipped a public beta of, of Lightroom 1 uh, starting in January of 2006. Okay. Um, so, and then we, we shipped um, uh, the first version about uh, 13 months later in February of, of 2007. So it's actually becoming quite a mature application, and we've been doing quite a few updates along the way. So we... I don't know if you've noticed, but we, we tend to do quite a few releases. We actually just released Lightroom 2.2, uh, and there's always updates coming out. <laughs> well, Lightroom is one of those programs which, if you have it on auto-update, when I do, it seems like half the time I open it, it tells me there's some new feature or file support that's included, and I should download the latest you know, version or upgrade. Well, one of the things we heard loud and clear from the pro community uh, and the advanced amateur community is that, you know, when these new cameras come out, the, you know, the latest Nikons, latest Canons and other camera manufacturers, you know, photographers want to get their hands on them and start using the latest and greatest. And so it's important that we update the application frequently to support those new cameras. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the latest version because I got some frustrations in that area of raw support, which is not necessarily, you know, an Adobe bailiwick that comes from the manufacturers. We'll come back to that. But first, why don't you tell everybody sort of given all the all the new features and, uh, and improved uh, utility that's available in Lightroom 2.0 over the first version, what are sort of the major highlights of what's evolved in this version? We, we added quite a bit in Lightroom, too, but i got to say the thing that has people the most excited is that really this is the first time you can do some powerful uh, local non-destructive editing. So let me, let me take a step back and explain that. Lightroom is, uh, image adjustments are based on this concept of, of metadata-based editing or non-destructive editing. You don't need to worry about the details, but the nice thing is we only work with uh, the original file, whether it's RAW or JPEG, and we just treat every adjustment as kind of a recipe or a list of instructions. Uh, and it's a, it's incredibly fast and new way of working. And it's it's much different from how you work in Photoshop, which you actually move pixels around. Uh, so the limitation of this in the past is that if you wanted to make an adjustment to uh, uh, to the image, like exposure or, or tone curve adjustment, you're making that adjustment to the entire image, uh, and and that was a big limitation. So we we really kind of are pioneering being able to do these adjustments just to specific areas. So we have an adjustment brush, so you can dodge and burn, maybe lighten a face or darken a background, uh, a graduated filter tool that lets you do basically recreate the neutral density filter um, as if you were doing, putting that on the lens when you're shooting a landscape. Uh, so it really the local adjustments, being able to, to go in with these you know, really flexible, non-destructive tools and affect just a little portion of the image uh, really uh, drives a lot of value for folks. And I think when they realize that uh, our upgrade price is only ninety nine dollars. Uh, that, that's a, that's a lot of value. Yeah, I have to say, if you have Lightroom One and use it and enjoy it, you'd be crazy not to spend ninety nine bucks to upgrade to Lightroom Two because it it just adds a tremendous amount of utility to the program. Yep. Other things we did. Um, 
you know, it's sometimes the, the more subtle things. We actually redesigned the, the library, and uh, you may not notice it right away, but you'll find that things are just easier to access, and it's easier to work with your images on disk. We have a really nice volume browser to, so you can work across multiple hard drives because I don't know any photographer who can manage to get their entire image collection onto a single drive. Um, so it's great to be able to, to have those refinements in the experience and, and the improvements and the, and the print flexibility. So a lot of great things. And then just the whole program, it feels to me at least like it's snappier, it's more responsive. Things scroll quicker and load more quickly. Is all of that kind of souped up the basic engine of it? Absolutely. So, you know, I, I hear two things from photographers on a regular basis, and it basically sums up into they want their image quality to be better all the time, and they want the application to work faster. Uh, so we actually took Lightroom a step further. We're the first major professional application to uh, – work natively in a 64-bit uh, environment. Again, some technical terms there, but, you know, all these computers that have tons of RAM, um, you know, traditional 32-bit applications really can't take advantage of all that memory. So we went ahead and we're kind of pushing the frontier and, and releasing a 64-bit version of Lightroom allows us to utilize all the RAM on the computer and anything we can do to, to, to maximize performance, we're, we're going to go after it. Now, the last I checked, the 64-bit version was only for Windows. Is that still the case? Uh, no, that's Photoshop CS4 uh, is 64-bit okay. only on Windows. Lightroom is actually 64-bit native on Mac and PC. Ooh, all right. See, you guys are showing up your uh, older brother there. You know, it's fun. We have a little sibling rivalry. We, uh, you know, we both sit on the same floor in the same office tower, so uh, we have a good time. We learn a lot from each other. Well, there are some features that were not and I'm not talking about sort of incremental things. I see this as kind of a big feature that popped up in Lightroom 2 after I loaded it um, the first time. A couple weeks later, the camera profiles feature was available online. Uh, is that part of the program yet? Is that still kind of a beta plugin or what? Yeah, that, that's a, a good question. We actually, we've been working on the camera profiles for a long time, and I'll explain them in a second. But starting with Lightroom 2 that we released in, in December, uh, they are now officially part of the application, and they ship automatically with every update. Um, right. So camera profiles were basically designed to solve two, two problems. One, one uh, for those who are kind of getting into digital photography and experimenting with maybe a new DSLR, starting to shoot RAW, they, they see on the back of the camera uh, this one interpretation of the raw capture, okay? And that's usually pretty saturated. It's got some nice contrast. looks good. And it's an important image because photographers say, hey, I've got the image. I can see it. I'm, you know, I know I've got it. It's in the can. I can move on to the next shot. Um, when they bring that image into that raw file into various software titles, uh, it's subject to interpretation. It's kind of like giving a black and white negative to 10 different custom print labs. Each one is going to interpret the print differently. You know, not to say that any one interpretation is right or wrong, uh, but there's different styles and, and different um, different looks that people may be going for. Uh, right. We've always had one default interpretation, and if that you know one size fits all doesn't work for you, you're kind of out of luck. Uh, so what we did is we introduced this concept of profiles that emulate the different looks that photographers like, and, and the most popular ones that we were hearing requests for were the ones that match what the camera manufacturer does. So all the profiles that you can set in Nikon Capture and X or Canon's Digital Photo Pro, those are all available as options in the uh, in the profile section of, of Lightroom and the Camera Raw plugin. So, for example, people who don't shoot in RAW or aren't familiar with these settings, I shoot Canon, and if I were to, you know, download my image, my RAW images into the program that ships with my camera, which is Digital Photo Pro, there are sort of settings for a neutral setting, a, a, a standard setting, a, a setting that's faithful to the picture, to the colors as they were captured. Maybe there's a landscape setting. And each one of these is going to change things like the contrast and the sharpening based on what Canon thought would be the best settings for that kind of subject or outcome, right? Uh, yeah, although they not necessarily sharpening. It's, it's almost predominantly tonal adjustments and color balance. Okay. Um, and so what we've done is, you know, the faithful, the neutral, the landscape, the portrait, all those options that are available in DDP, we've made those available in the calibration panel of Lightroom and Camera Raw. And th those are um, – they are some of the only reasons why I think people were using the software that came with their – camera because they wanted to get those 
settings with sort of a one-click functionality, right? Absolutely. It made sense because that's what they saw on their camera. That's the settings they had made, and they want to continue that look as they move on to their computer, and we absolutely respect that. On the other so, end, you, you also have uh, the higher-end professionals who need to custom calibrate their profiles. Right. Uh, and so if you need to normalize across multiple cameras, um, you know, we, we released a profile editor that um, – I don't expect quite a few people to use this, but for the really demanding high-end studio professionals who need to really get that exact profile so they can get just that right color uh, for their product shop, et cetera, uh, they can use that tool. And the nice thing is the profiles that, that are created are actually uh, created based on a standard that we uh, included in the D&G specification. So um, any software manufacturer that, that wants to read or interpret these profiles uh, can because we've described them and outlined uh, exactly what they do in the D&G spec. Now, are the profiles manufacturer-specific or camera-specific? How does that work? They're right down to the camera model specific. So we actually, you'll notice maybe the Lightroom 2.2 update got a little bit bigger because we actually do, uh, you know, five or six different profiles for every single camera model uh, that we support from Canon and Nikon. Uh, so that's that's quite a bit of work. And when you change uh, from, let's say, a Canon 5D to a Canon 5D Mark II, those are two separate profiles, uh, and we, you know, we, we customize each one. So they're very specific. Yes. And do you plan to support other manufacturers in the future, Sony and Samsung and Pentax, things like that? Absolutely. We actually have already uh, taken care of some Pentax profiles, um, and we're just working away as quickly as we can to add additional support. Beautiful. Now, you know, I I think a lot of people have sort of gotten the, um, the main idea of Lightroom as being something that you can use to catalog your photos, to browse them and, and rate them and compare them very quickly to select your best shots. It has a pretty full-featured editor that a lot of photographers I speak to, including myself now, can tell you that the majority of their pictures, they don't even have to bring into Photoshop anymore. They can really get their pictures all the way there just in Lightroom. But is there one feature that people don't know about in Lightroom, kind of a hidden feature that's one of your favorites? Well, I, I got to say, I think we just covered it. <laughs> uh, the uh, the camera profiles were were largely um, unknown until this last release. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that was a big one. So I I encourage everyone to to take a look at those if sure if they're capturing in raw. Um, the other thing that might be a little bit more hidden uh, is actually some of the sharpening technology in um, in uh, Lightroom and the in the camera raw plugin. It's it's some of the most advanced sharpening technology out there. Uh, and so sometimes I hear folks saying, oh, I, I, I only go to Photoshop to sharpen now. And I'm like, well, you might want to take a look at the sharpening and, and that's available in Lightroom because not only do we do kind of capture sharpening, which offsets the softness of, you know, all the current um, sensors that are out there, the technical issue there, there's a bare sensor pattern that introduced a little bit of softness. We can correct for that, but we also do output sharpening as well. So we, we license some technology um, it was previously a uh, $100 Photoshop plugin to sharpen your images. It was called the uh, PhotoKit uh, Sharpener plugin for Photoshop. Um, and we went ahead and licensed that technology and built it directly into Lightroom. So you have access to really high-quality uh, print sharpening. So a lot of times photographers will say, well, I gotta, you know, if I want to print an image, I better take it into Photoshop and crank the sharpening way up until it looks bad, and then it will print well. Uh, so basically what we did is we said, no, that doesn't make sense. Let's automatically sharpen for whatever media you're printing to. Uh, so that's, uh, some of the sharpening tools are kind of an unknown for some in, in Lightroom because they're, um, folks are more familiar with the Unsharp mass tools, but I, I gotta say it's, it's definitely worth taking a look. Now what's coming up next in, uh, Lightroom, anything you could tell us about that's, uh, that you guys are working on now? Um, you know. So uh, we have what's called a feature request submission form on adobe.com. I'll send you a link. Maybe you could post it on your site. Um, and so right now the, the hot thing that people are looking for is uh, Nikon D3X support. Uh, so mm-hmm. I can say that's in the works, and, and we're trying to get, get it to you as quickly as possible. Uh, in terms of features and things in the future of Lightroom, you know, I think we've been really happy with the public beta process where we release the application for free to our customers before we actually charge for an upgrade or a new new release, and we get a lot of feedback. And again, the, the two main um, 
categories of feedback is image quality and you know the performance of the application. So we continue to work in those areas. You know, you were talking about um, how you license some plug-in technology for Lightroom. I'm a big fan of some of the third-party plugins that come from Onwin Software, from Nick Software that I use in Photoshop. What is the um, deal with those also working with Lightroom? Are some of them Lightroom compliant yet, can, or is that upcoming, or, or what can you say about that? Well, you'll notice that On One has already started to adapt their plugins to work directly from Photoshop. Uh, the first one they released was the uh, PhotoFrame plugin, which works extremely well. Directly uh, from Lightroom? With Lightroom 2. Okay. Uh, you just right-click on all the images you want to work with as photo frames, and uh, it goes directly into their application and back to Lightroom. Um, uh, you know, I, I think Nick will, will follow shortly. What, what we've been careful about doing is um, these aren't actually plugins. They, they, we call these external editors. Um, for a plugin to truly be a plugin to Lightroom, uh, it, it would need to exist within our non-destructive editing experience in the develop module. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And that's that's not possible yet, but we're always talking to developers and customers. We have a, you know, we have that Photoshop heritage and relationship with all these developers, Nick and On One. Uh, so we're we're working closely with those guys. We we actually have had some updates, uh, Noise Ninja. Uh, released an update to make it really easy to round trip your files from Lightroom to Noise Ninja and back. PT Lens works extremely well at the lens correction utility. So um, while we've been focused, um, you know, making sure that working with these other uh, editors, external editors, what we call them, um, the the kind of premise of the extensibility of the APIs for Lightroom is a little bit based more on workflow than image processing. Um, mm-hmm. We have plugins for taking your images directly from Lightroom up into, you know, Flickr, SmugMug. Uh, there are, you know, 50 or 100 different uh, web gallery uh, styles you can download and put directly into Lightroom so you can get different look and feels for your galleries. Uh, custom metadata um, uh, plugins for doing geotagging, things like that. So we, we really want to extend the workflow um, and, and maybe not so much the image processing plugins, because frankly, I, I treat Photoshop as my big plugin to, to Lightroom at this point. <laughs> uh oh, we won't tell them that you called them a plugin to Lightroom. <laughs> I don't know that. that you see more sibling rivalry. Now you talked before about um, you, you currently have a you know concerted effort to, to provide support for the raw files from the latest Nikon camera. As a consumer, that's a real frustration is the way camera manufacturers um, sort of roll out a a new raw version for every camera that they come out with. You know, it's slightly different and you always have to wait for for the other programs, including the Adobe programs, to be able to support those raw files. And as a consumer, you know, I'm always somewhat concerned that that I have to worry in 10 years from now, will the pictures that I took 10 years ago still be readable, the raw files, because will I still be able to get, you know, the the, the raw reader for, um, you know, my digital rebel version one, right? Yep. Um, and, and so that's a real frustration for consumers. And I know that um, the camera companies will tell you that the reason they, you know, have different versions of RAW for every camera or that are manufacturer-specific are due to them being able to provide you with the um, best image quality. But Adobe does have its own file format called DNGs that is a RAW version that some camera manufacturers do use right out the gate. So their files come out as DNGs. And you have the comfort of knowing that that's a standard that will be around for as long as Adobe's around, which is probably going to be for a very long time. So what's the deal with that? Why are more camera manufacturers not adopting the standardized DNG format? Well, and I'll I'll just correct you on one point. I mean, the DNG file format's going to be around much longer than Adobe. Um, (laughs) You you know, you hate to predict uh, ill futures, but, you know, that really is the point. You don't want your file format tied to one entity. And that's the, exactly what proprietary file formats are. They're, they're basically owned and managed by, you know, a proprietary uh, company or individual. So 
with DNG, basically what we did is we said, look, there's a ton of commonality across all these raw images. They really fit into kind of a standardized format. Let's write that standardized format down and then publish it for everyone. So it's openly documented. It's out there in the in the World Wide Web. And, you know, anyone who wants access to that specification can now uh, – use it and implement it in their software. And there, there's something like 200 software titles that can read DNG raw files. Whereas, you know, how many software applications can read the proprietary NEF files uh, that are being created on a regular basis? So one example that's already out there is the uh, raw files from the old uh, Kodak DCS Probax. Um, Kodak doesn't write any raw software anymore to interpret those files. Uh, right. So, and they're proprietary format. So, by converting them to DNG, you're kind of ensuring that in the long term you'll have better access to um, to be able to interpret the data. Now, getting back to your question about why camera manufacturers uh, haven't jumped on board as quickly as you know photographers had, had hoped, um, it's just a matter of you know logistics and um, you know comfort levels. If you look at um, the way we manage the format, it's actually managed by Adobe. Uh, we, if we need to make a change, we kind of take responsibility and we'll update the, the file format. And so it's difficult for a, an independent camera manufacturer to say, you know what, we're going to tie our cameras to a file format that's managed by someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's worked fine for Leica, and, and Pentax has definitely gotten on board because I think they, they kind of see the potential. Um, but for Nikon and Canon, I, I understand their point of view. That's, you know, they, they don't necessarily want to hitch their wagon uh, to someone else's format if they're not in control of it. So what we've done is um, we've submitted it to ISO uh, for standardization. So it can be managed by the industry uh, and not by one sole party. And I think once mm-hmm. that happens, you'll see, a, you know, the um, the pressure to avoid a format that's managed by one individual as opposed to a a, a format that's managed by the industry uh, will change greatly. So I, right. I respect their decision, uh, and I think we're doing the right thing in, in shepherding the format to get to the point where the industry can accept it as a standard. So you, you're willing to share your toys? Oh, absolutely. I, I think it's in the in the best interest of the you know the industry and and really photographers. It's it's in their best interest. If you you know for those of us who started out uh, trying early digital photography techniques, photo CDs uh, were very popular, and you know that's another example of. Uh, a format that Kodak no longer supports, uh, and it, it can't even be supported in Photoshop CS4 because the the technology in the libraries that are proprietary and licensed by Kodak can't be used. So right. um, and and Kodak, you know, back when somebody was buying, you know, a Kodak camera that supported their, you know, previous files or putting their pictures on picture CDs, everyone would have said Kodak's going to be around forever. When you know. Yeah, and who would have, it, ever who would have thought, thought that Kodak? You know, they, right? they'd be at this place in the professional world right now. So I think that's why, you know, it's really important to say this is D&G is not tied to Adobe's success in the future. Um, right. Nor Nikon's or Canon's or anyone's. It's, it's out there and it's available uh, to the ecosystem. Well, for someone who's concerned about having their pictures in a format that, you know, will be released more widely and will be supported by more than one company, Photoshop Lightroom does give you many options upon importing your pictures. You can name them. You can choose where they go. You can sort them. You can tag them. You can also convert your raw files as they're being read off your card into DNGs. Is that correct? Uh, absolutely. And you, you, Automatically. You know, you'd be amazed. Um, you know, before, we had pretty high adoption of DNG when you had to download this separate converter and um, run this separate process to convert your photos to DNG. Now that we've kind of made it a part of the Lightroom workflow, uh, we found that 40% of our Lightroom customers ended up utilizing that convert to DNG option. Now, do you lose anything in your image quality when you do that? Absolutely not. You, you'll find if you duplicate the file and you bring in that raw, uh, proprietary raw, and then you look at the DNG raw, they're absolutely identical. And then would things like the camera profiles from the manufacturer still be applicable to your newly transformed DNG file? Absolutely, because it's okay. these camera profiles are part of the DNG spec, and they're not actually from the camera manufacturers. We develop them in-house uh, ourselves, so it's all it all works very well. To sort of match the camera manufacturers. Exactly. Okay. So, and what about file size? Are they pretty equivalent? 
Well, so, you know, we talked a little bit about file format obsolescence. That's the key phrase I use. Uh, For the long-term future of the file, there's actually three very real benefits of using DNGs now. One is is the file size. Uh, Some of those 14-bit Nikon uh, NEF files, we can cut the file size in half on those uh, using lossless compression. Um, You know, it's it is truly lossless. We get the improved uh, compression because we have the horsepower of your computer to run a more ad- advanced algorithm uh, than your camera has. Uh, so you get compression. You've got the ability to store all the metadata within a single container. Uh, mm-hmm. You notice if you use Bridge or Camera or Lightroom that um, you can store XMP sidecars next to a proprietary file format, but wouldn't it be nice if you could include it all within one container so that metadata about your tagging and about your adjustments stays with the file. And the last one is actually being able to update a preview within the DNG file, uh, kind of like having a, well, this is my develop settings. I really like this high contrast black and white. Go ahead and save this preview. It's almost like a work print directly into the file. So the applications that can't render raw data can take advantage of that preview and say, hey, this is what the image looks like. And then um, I know that on my um, Mac and even on my Windows machine, the built-in file preview functions, you know, within File Explorer or Finder, they can give me a preview of a raw file. Can they also give me a preview of a DNG? Absolutely. Okay. So, you know, there, there, there's a lot of good reasons, even if the manufacturers are not on board with supporting DNGs at this point. It's pretty painless, and even there are some advantages to converting your RAWs to this more open format, so you can have some of the comfort of knowing that there's no planned obsolescence in it and also enjoy some things like smaller files and a little bit more sensible file management like you were talking about. Absolutely. There's near-term and long-term benefits. Um, You know, I I just make sure that the the one big caveat is that if you are a Canon or an Icon shooter um, and you convert those files to DNG, uh, you won't then be able to load them into uh, Nikon's Capture NX software or uh, Canon's Canon DPP, which... um, you know, a lot of photographers who move on to Lightroom workflow aren't very concerned about that. I've never even loaded one of those programs, <laughs> but I'm sure they're very good. All right. Well, listen, I want to let you go because we actually started a little bit late. You were very uh, considerate and understanding. I had a hang up at my son's school, which is never fun, but we really appreciate your coming on board. We appreciate the fact that Adobe will be giving away a free copy of Adobe Photoshop Lightroom 2.0. You know, at one point they were saying we were always supposed to say that. You know, always say the full name. Now, thank God, we can just call it Lightroom. But every once in a while, I like to use the full moniker. Um, To a lucky listener, and Michael and I will give you all the clue so you can enter the contest, which will bring you over to the Lightroom site and tell us the correct answer. Send it in, and you'll be entered into a drawing to win a free copy of Lightroom. And it's terrific. I love it. I use it. I've... I, there's not a picture I don't use it with because I always import using Lightroom, so every picture touches it at one point. Great. Well, good. Th- good luck to uh, any everyone who enters the drawing. <laughs> yes, and thank you very much. Good luck to you as you work to continually improve Lightroom. And if you know you and the guys down the hall from Photoshop get into a brawl, we got your back. All right. <laughs> thanks, Scott. All right. Thanks a lot, Tom. All right. Take care. Well, that is it for this week's show. Don't forget to enter our contest for a free copy of Lightroom, which is a terrific – well, Lightroom 2, I guess I should say, right? Yes, Lightroom we 2. We don't want to be cheap. We could be giving away Lightroom 1. <laughs> I suppose I can give my old version away. That's true. You could sell your old version. Can you sell your old vo- version? Well, I've I've uninstalled it. So, So if you have a version 1 of a product – then you get version two, uninstall version one. That's that's resellable. It's resellable. I'm not selling it, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it, theoretically, that's legal. Yes. All right. I mean, because well, basically you purchase a license, and as long as you're not using that license anymore, you're not using the software anymore, then you're not violating. You know, it's still one user, let's say, using that license. But you've used that license. If you've gotten an upgrade version, right, you've kind of used that license. Well, if you get an upgrade upgrade version, version. that's a different story because you still might need that. You wouldn't want to let that version necessarily go because 
you might have upgraded to a new version, but if you ever had to reinstall things, you have to start from your first version and then upgrade again. Because the upgrades are not usually complete versions. I mean, they're complete, right. but they you know they require you having your other version installed. All right. Well, let's play it safe. Let's not put our version ones of anything on sale, okay? Okay. All right. But we can give them to a friend. Sometimes I do that because I can get them back if I need them. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> all right. Well, listen, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. We'll be back next week with another terrific interview, hopefully another great giveaway. But in the meantime, try to take some shots that capture the joy of photography. Our contest runs for how many more days, Michael? Sorry? How many more days is our contest? What? One more week. One more week. And probably less than that by the time we post this, right? Yeah. All right. So pretend it's the IRS. Get your pictures in on time. We're in the final stretch. We're in the final stretch. If you're international, pretend it is whatever is your version of the International Revenue Service. Because we, we, we're open to international contestants, right? Sure. All over the world. All right. And check out previous episodes of the Digital Photography Show or Scott's Photo Blog, show notes from one of the older shows for full details on the rules of the contest what we're looking for, and how you can enter. And thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk again next week. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.